In the Pocket, a talk show that showcases Mainers, who are people of color. Each episode represents a member of the Maine community from art, culture, and business, the earth, wind, and fire of life. Embracing and exploring the Black diaspora and descendants of American slavery through conversation is the foundational concept of In the Pocket. The overall mission of In the Pocket is to create conversational space for all people of color that is documented and celebrated through sharing of life experiences. If you like what you're hearing and want to hear it again or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In the Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show. Thank you listeners for tuning in to In The Pocket. I'm your host, Flo Edwards, and our special guest today, it's actually a part two episode with Aaron Amade. He is running for Congress um, in District 1 in Maine. Uh, Aaron, please, again, introduce yourself. It is so great to be able to continue this on with you, Flo. Again, my name is Aaron Amade, and I'm running for Maine's first congressional district. And I'm hoping to be the next congressman and the first black congressman ever elected from the state of Maine. Awesome. In, um, in the last episode, I really could relate to you, um, partly because I was also stationed at Fort Riley, Kansas when I was in the army. Yes, I know. What? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> the first ID team here. There we go. And I feel like, were you even really there? Because you said you were like in Poland and all these other countries. I think that's how most people who have been at Fort Riley feel. Was I even really there? <laughs> I definitely spent more time in Europe than I did at Fort Riley. <laughs> so, oh. Oh. Uh, and I am I can say I'm very grateful for the fact that I spent more time in Europe than I did at Fort Riley. <laughs> so, I, you know, I love Kansas City, but Fort Riley is definitely surrounded by corn and corn and a little bit more corn. <laughs> Uh, I, I would agree. I unfortunately did not get a chance to leave Kansas when I was stationed there. I mean, at least not through the army um, on my own ventures. Yes. Um, so but I, I was able to find a spouse there and we're very happy here in Maine. I was very happy she left Kansas. Go figure. But she loves it. And we visit every couple of years for the holidays. Um, but I love that similarity. And I also noticed in your video on your website, at least one of the videos, um, you had a beer on your table while you were chatting. Am I right about that? Was that a beer? <laughs> yes, that was a beer. <laughs> um, so you like the craft beer scene here? I, you know, I love the craft beer scene here. Um, I, I will say I'm not a crafter. Um, fanatic whatsoever. Um, I, I'm actually pretty basic when it, it comes to my beer. I'm much more of a wine person, um, but I, I still love the scene itself because usually the, the people that you interact with in these places, you have the most amazing conversations. I absolutely love that. So that is one of that's actually one of the things I love the most about Maine is how so many corporations disappear. Up Everything's just small and local, so you get so many unique, different experiences. 
Dude, like the first time I ever tried meat was actually here to me. And it's so cool like to go someplace that just specializes in selling meat, which is like what theoretically quote unquote pirates used to drink. But you know, you go back to medieval times and that's what you know, they were drinking the kings and the queens they were drinking meat. And it's really good and something that living in the South I had never experienced before. So yeah, I, I love the scenes that we have up here for going on social. Yeah. So getting to know you a little bit, not just in the political arena, but in the I'm a community member arena. Um, do you have a couple of breweries? I know you're a wine drinker. We'll get there. Do you have a couple of breweries that you enjoy when you have conversations to go to? Um, so I actually haven't made it out to too many of the breweries here just with the timing of when I got here with COVID. Um, but I, I do have specific uh, bars that I go to. I'm a huge fan of Lincoln's in Portland. Um, the speakeasy and of course, you know, being that I'm a huge history fan that they used Abraham Lincoln and everything is $5. I think that is so, so um, But when it comes to having a specific unique twist, I absolutely love going to, oh my goodness, why is the name just slipping out of my head? It is, oh, there we go, the chocolate bar in Old Port that specializes in chocolate martinis. That is just, uh, that's one of my favorite places to go. Anytime I bring anyone to Maine, I have to take them there because I think it's just such a unique twist. And surprisingly, like a lot of people are astounded when I say this, I hate chocolate. Um, and everyone said, what do you mean you hate chocolate? I just, I'm not, I don't know, I don't like chocolate. But I go there whenever I get a chance to get a chocolate martini because they just do such a fantastic job of it. It's insane. Well, clearly they do a great job for someone who doesn't like chocolate to drink a chocolate martini. Exactly. <laughs> Have you been to yes. um, uh, Gross Confections? I haven't. There, Gross Confections. Where's that one? Um, it's on Exchange, or it's on the corner of Exchange um, and Middle. And it's by, it used to be oh, a yeah, Christmas tree. Yeah. So I, I've yes, been I there. Know. They have good desserts and good cocktails too, but I need to try the chocolate bar. Yes, yes, got to try the chocolate bar. It, is, it will not disappoint you. So how did you end up getting into um, the health field from the military? Because your background in the military did not seem to be health related. Nope, it wasn't. I grew up in a medical family. My mother and my grandmother were both CNAs. My aunts and uncle are both doctors. Um, my cousin was a naval corpsman. I've, I've been surrounded by it my entire life. Um, it's also kind of normal growing up in a Caribbean household to be expected to go into the medical field. So I actually just fought against it for years um, and did everything but the medical field because I was expected to be a doctor or a nurse um, and I was like no you you expect me to do this so I'm going to do the exact opposite I'm going to be a corrections officer <laughs> I'm going to go into law enforcement but once COVID happened and I started seeing this shortage in the medical field because I grew up with it I've always had the interest the interest has always been there I understand it um, and I have a passion for people that is that is what my passion is, is people. I like to help people. I don't care how I'm helping them. I just want to help people. So when I saw that shortage, I'm like, 
you know, this is a good opportunity for me to continue on helping people. Let me take a step into the medical field to help fill this shortage and make a difference. Um, so I became a CNA myself and started working on a skilled nursing rehab unit, which I absolutely loved getting to deal with our older population as they're dealing with these injuries, the conversations. Um, you know, I had, I had one young lady who, and I always refer to my, my older patients as young ladies because you're as young as your mind says. <laughs> I had one young lady who, you know, she was bringing her trash can up and she fell and ripped her arm. So she was just in recovering from that. But the, the part of my job that I, I love the most were the days where I'd go in and she was just in excruciating pain. And she's, you know, she's she's crying, obviously, because of this pain. And it it's, I can only imagine how hard it is be independent for 40 years of your life, 50 years of your life. And then all of a sudden, you know, a simple slip and you break your arm and it takes you months to recover. You can't do anything on your own anymore. And she was just like feeling like, what's the point of continuing on? Like she ended up having a second fall while she was in the facility. And she's like, I just keep falling. I have no balance anymore. Like, why am I alive? And taking the time to sit with them and motivate them and remind them like the the struggle that she's going through and just reminding her of everything that she had all the trials and tribulations that she had gone through over her entire life and the fact that she had made it through all of those and it's like i understand how well i don't understand but i can imagine how it feels to feel so fragile and helpless i'm like but you've made it this far so you're going to make it through this and you're going to be here for another 40 years with us. And that's, that's a part of my job that I really, really love. Um, and because of a lot of the experiences I've had too, I have a, a unique perspective. You know, we had another resident who suffered from extreme anxiety. Um, and it's something that a lot of the other nurses and CNAs just weren't equipped to deal with effectively. And they were having a very hard time managing here and you know i was able to just go in and sit down and say hey let's take a deep breath breathe in and breathe out what's going on talk with me calm down like you know you're crying you're hysterical we can't communicate when you're like this it's okay let's let's take a breath and let's have a conversation i'm here with you i'll hold their hand and i'll talk with them and i enjoy so much taking the time to to inspire an older population to keep now, I'm used to dealing with the younger but you know, this older population needs as well. Life starts to get hard again once you cross a certain threshold. Um, and they, they need that motivation. So that's, that's really what got me into the medical but just seeing where I could use the skills that I had to continue to make a difference in people's lives while helping to fill a need that we had. Right on. I love that you uh, speak of you know, CNA and then transitioning on as you're taking education. But I also wanted to think about when you were a correctional officer, um, were you able to help as much as you feel like you were helping in the health field? Um, I guess you could say I was able to help. Maybe, maybe not as much, um, you know, because there's... <laughs> our criminal justice needs deep reform deep deep reform um and it's part of the reason i'm not in corrections anymore 
When I first got into corrections, I got into it in Orlando, Florida, and I was working in a work release center, which for the listeners who don't quite understand what that is, essentially, if you are at a minimum or community custody, and you're within a certain months of release date, they allow you to a uh, community custody facility where you can leave during the day to go to work and you can work at night. Um, so I started off as a corrections, uh, a correctional tech um, there, which is just a non-certified corrections And that kind of developed my passion because these were people who were had spent years of their life in prison and were trying to get re-familiarized with society. Um, one of the things that I saw is in one of the positions I got promoted to there, I got promoted pretty quickly while I was there. And I became the, the exact name for the Essentially what I oversaw was the monitoring of all of the inmates while they were out at work because they all had on um, ankle bracelets so that we could track them where they were at because they were traveling throughout the entire state of Florida. Um, but I was also responsible for getting them cell phones because they were allowed to have cell phones at a certain point. And something that I found very interesting was I remember specifically having one gentleman who had spent 26 years in prison. Um, so when the day came that he was allowed to get a cell phone, he came to me, he said, Mr. Amade, I want to get a cell phone, but I don't know how to use one. And I'm like, okay, you know, have your family send one in for you not show it. And I'm sitting down with him and the look on his face, he's just, he's bewildered. And then it dawned on me, this man has been in prison as long as technology has been out. Like, so it's just, it's mind blowing to him. Um, and what's scary is there are a lot of people who don't make it into the work relief program. So they go from being in this prison environment that they could have been in since the 1990s to being introduced to a society with cars that can drive themselves. Like that is, that that, that type of culture shock scary. And it's something that actually causes a lot of people to recommit their crimes. Because what happens is they get into this world that they know nothing about and they, they panic. And so it's just more, it's more comfortable and normal for them to be inside of the facility. So they'll commit a crime that they know is going to get them rearrested so that they can get back to that normalcy. And so it starts to develop a passion in me to assist these people in properly readjusting to civilian life life outside of the prison. You know, I wouldn't refer to them as inmates. I refer to them as I hate when corrections officers say, inmate, come here. And like, they have a name. Use their name. They're still people. They're still human beings. They did something wrong. They're being punished for what they did wrong by being in prison. We don't have to continue to punish them. The way that I was taught to be a corrections officer is that when you commit a crime, your punishment is your sentence. Our job as corrections officers are to keep you safe, to keep the public safe, and to help you through your rehabilitation process. Not to continue to punish you unless you do something that requires punishment, such as committing another crime on your end. So I took that very seriously in a sense of, you know, when I, I remember when I came to Maine, I had, um, I worked in the prison system here very short um, when I first got out of the military. And I remember having an inmate come up to me and he, he said something and then he was like, you know, I'm just a criminal. Like, and I, I stopped and I was like, excuse me, 
I'm like, did you commit a crime today that I don't know about? He's like, no. I'm like, have you committed a crime in this facility? He's like, no. Do you plan on committing a crime when you leave this facility? He's like, God, I hope not. He's like, then you're not a criminal. You committed a crime. You made a mistake. You're paying for that mistake. Stop referring to yourself as a criminal. Words have power. I'm like, you are a human being who made a mistake. Acknowledge the mistake that you made. Learn from the mistake and now focus on how you're going to do better. You have a name, use your name. And I've always said that to my inmates because I think that is so important to remind them that they are still human beings that made a mistake and that the purpose of this is for them to learn from their mistakes. So that that's really what got me into corrections. And you know, once I left the work release, I went and worked for the state of Florida. I know I'm bouncing back a little bit, I apologize for that. But once I, once I left the work release, I went and worked for the State of Florida's Department of Corrections. And I had the experience of working on maximum security dorms at the, um, at the prisons in Central Florida and interacting with these hardened, hardened criminals and just seeing the, the way that officers interact with the prison population inspired me to want to change it. There is a lack of respect. There is a lack of understanding that people can make. And there's a lack of humanity um, in our criminal justice system. I think a lot of officers sometimes forget that we are still people. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what kept me in that passion for a little bit until I realized that until things are changed on a legislative level, there's only so much of a difference that you can make in the facility. I um, got a lot of criticism for being called what they call like a prison hugger or a prisoner hugger because I treated my inmates with respect. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I'm not going to do anything that is illegal. I'm going to treat you as a human being. I will say thank you. I will say please. Like, a human being. Like, I can tell you, hey, stand over there, please. It's not difficult to do whatsoever. Um, but a lot of people who have been in this field for years are part of that old school mentality to where, you know, as much as people don't like to talk about it, prison is modern day slavery and they kind of treat them like it's something. So that's, that's something that's going to be a big focus for me as well is reforming our criminal justice and ensuring that it's not a holding facility. This is a correctional facility. We are here to rehabilitate these people and to ensure that they can leave and come back to society and be positive members of our community. Thank you for that. I love that your foundational foundational principles are hope and humanity um, and it shows. And I know you said you don't want to be a career-long politician However, I feel like some of the things that you're passionate about will take a career to accomplish or <laughs> make a change in the needle in the right direction. You know, then that's why I'll say, I think for this conference run, one of the biggest things that I am interested in, or I'd say two of the biggest things that I'm interested in are one, term limits on Congress. Um, we have term limits on our presidency for a reason. And a lot of states have term their legislation and I think that needs to extend federally when you look at it most Americans the majority of Americans term limits on Congress um, 
But it also makes sense that Congress would not term limit itself because essentially they would be firing themselves, <laughs> the majority of them. Um, so it's something that I want to push for. And I understand that it may not get accomplished in the profession, but I love the organization, um, U.S. Term Limits, and how they're focusing on, you know, a lot of people don't understand ways that the Constitution can be amended. Congress is not the only ones who do it. So what they're fighting for right now is for all state legislatures to hold a convention. At that convention, the state legislatures vote. Congress then has to um, pass the legislature. So that is a big push that I will be focusing on is working with state legislatures to um, get this convention done so that we can place term limits on Congress. Because I think once we get term limits on Congress, you are now forcing these people to be a lot and you're also allowing fresh ideas to constantly come in, which will allow change to happen. One of the things that has impeded a lot of these changes from, happen, from happening is simply that the same people that are in office today have been in office for the last 30 years. So if they were the ones who made these rules 30 years ago, why would they want to change them now? We need these new fresh minds coming in and out. So if we can get term limits placed on Congress, I think that we will see progress. I'm also a big supporter of the Fair Tax Act. I think that we need to ensure that more money is to um, working Americans' pockets. And that is something that we're going to see decrease poverty. And if I can get those two things done in Congress, everything else that I would like to see changed, I can work on outside of Congress. You know, everyone keeps asking me, why are you running for U.S. representative and not starting at the bottom? And it's specifically because I don't want to be a career politician. I'm not running for Congress as a way of setting myself up for it. I'm running for Congress because I have seen a need of issues that need to be fixed that can only be fixed by Congress. And therefore, I want to get there to express those needs and have those things fixed and then return back to being a normal Mainer. I love my everyday life of a Mainer. And if this campaign has been any insight to how difficult it will be to be a congressman, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, because if you're doing it effectively, it takes up your entire life. And I would still like to enjoy my life. However, I want to, to make sure that I can allow the rest of my community to enjoy their lives as well. I want to take this time and be a public servant on the federal level to make a difference for people and then come back to being a civilian and continue fighting for those same people. But now with rules and regulations in place that allow us as everyday Americans to actually see change happen. Oh, that's awesome. I noticed that you have a like a meet and greet coming up on February 10th. So um, yeah. is this your first meet and greet? It is. I am so excited for it. So the morning of February 10th, We'll be having a press conference um, because this past Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, so my day starts to blend, um, my press release came out officially announcing, announcing my candidacy. So we'll be hosting the press conference the morning of the 10th to do another um, official announcement and get a little bit more information out to people. And then that evening, yes, we'll be having that social meet and greet at my office. Um, really trying to get some key people from the community in so that I can really understand where the needs are in my community. Um, you know, I have ideas, obviously, but I'm 
person with ideas and I need to know what the other 400, 500,000 people in my district, <laughs> uh, what their thoughts are and what their concerns are. So that's really what this first of many to come meet and greet is going to be for. And who, how are you selecting key individuals um, from your district to give you the opinions of your constituents? Of course. Um, so there's a lot of different ways that we're doing because um, I'm trying to make sure that I hit as many people as possible. So for this event coming up specifically, what I did was I actually uh, reached out to various, or I am in the process of reaching out to various nonprofit agencies that are specifically working with um, different groups in the community to solve different issues. So definitely like reaching out to nonprofits that work specifically with us and um, these new Amer these new mainers as they call them. Um, and, you know, working with organizations that are involved in the environment, that are involved in civil rights, human rights, um, that are involved with the LGBT community. You know, I am a pansexual male. Um, I say bisexual a lot just to make it easier. But, you know, as a member of the community, that is something that is also very, very important. So really just reaching out to all of these different nonprofit organizations that are directly dealing with different issues in these communities and having them send a representative to come and talk with me. Yes, it's like, okay, what exactly does your organization do and how can I help? Or how is the federal government impeding you from actually being able to help people? So that's, that's the route that I took this time was focusing on these nonprofit organizations that are really involved in, in everyday news. Um, overall, when it comes to my approach on how I'm seeing things, it's just reaching out to people that I see involved in the community, but also reaching out to just random individuals. You know, if, if I walk into a store and talk to the cashier, you know, I, don't, I don't necessarily need to talk to the, the real estate owner, the, the bank owner. I don't, I don't need to talk to these corporate owners. I want to talk to the workers. I want to know how are you being treated. Um, for instance, you know, like I'll use this example with, with yourself. I know that you're a dentist. I would, the approach that I would take if I wanted to come to your office and find out how I could assist dental wouldn't necessarily be to come to you. I would go to your dental assistant um, because I have realized that usually the assistants get an insight that the primary person doesn't get, not because they don't care whatsoever, but, you know, you have a specialty that you have to and a lot of times you're also the business owner. So you're so focused on the operation of it. You don't always have a chance to see all the little things that, you know, the assistancies, they talk to the people um, a little bit more. So they'll know like, hey, like, yeah, like the dentist can tell me, you know, we're having issues with you know, sorting this equipment. We're having issues with improving this. But that person who's the first contact with the patient can tell me, you know, I have a lot of patients that'll call and like cancel their appointments because of an insurance issue or they're canceling their appointments because of babysitting issues. Things that the dentist may not necessarily hear. You're just hearing, oh, this person canceled the appointment. Um, so, and then like with the towns, I'm not necessarily calling the town administrator or the mayor. I'm calling the town clerk, the person that every person is going into to register to vote, to register their vehicle. They're hearing things all day long. You are that first contact with the people. The mayor's in the back office dealing with things as a whole. 
which is amazing and very necessary. I am not in any way trying to diminish the job. But that clerk is hearing and seeing these people all day long. That clerk may be dealing with the customer while the customer behind that person is on the phone saying, what do you mean you can't find a babysitter? I know, I just can't afford that $500 this month. They're hearing that because of the position. So I want to talk to them. What are you hearing? What's going on in your community that you're seeing every day? All the administrators thinking about the big picture. What are these little things that you're constantly hearing? So that's the approach that I try and take to really get the, the deepness as to what the needs are. In yeah, you are so thorough. I love it. You know, you take the bottom up approach and with having hope and making sure you have humanity, like you're kind of a complete package. It's been such a pleasure chatting with you, Aaron. Um, please, how can ITP listeners get in touch with you? What's the plug? So, you know, first off, if you want to email me, my email is Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at AmadeForCongress.com. That's A-M-E-D-E-F-O-R-C-O-N-G-R-E-S-S dot C-O-M. If you like what you've heard and want to hear it again, or want to check out our archive of past shows, look for us at inthepocket.captivate.fm or search In The Pocket on iTunes or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at In The Pocket and give us a follow so you never miss a show.